All right, folks, and welcome back to the Inclusion Solution Live. I am here with Megan Schiffler. Megan is an educator out of Detroit, among other things. Um, but of course, she's an everyday person living in this global pandemic. Megan, I am so excited to have you join us. Thank you. Thank you. We're gonna um we're gonna jump right in. And so Megan, if you just kind of want to share a little bit more about yourself, perhaps even those aspects of who you are and your identity that influence how you have been experiencing this moment in time, we can start there. Yeah, definitely. So as you mentioned, right, I am an educator in Detroit, Michigan. So I teach um, middle school English. So those sixth through eighth graders right at the cusp of puberty, it is a special, special time. Uh Um, And then I am also a new wife, a new bride, I guess. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. My partner is also a female, um, and my wife, she is here in the U.S., uh, currently on a visa, so when we got married, she was able to apply for a green card, so part of my identity is kind of through her in that I am the partner of someone who is not a legal resident yet in the United States, so a lot going on in this pandemic on all aspects um, in my own career and then in my personal life is just kind of hitting us from. Yeah. 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 I can, I can only imagine. Um, I can imagine. So one thing I have shared with a few folks is um, I'm experiencing from outside looking in the education system and that my brother is a, um, so it's actually high school, so 10th grade, right, experiencing okay. this, yep. like, distance learning situation. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit just about your perspective as an educator, especially in a in a city where there are, you know, disparities. We know the digital divide is, like, a, thing, a real thing and has um, those inequities have been exacerbated because of this pandemic. And so... What has it been like for you as an educator in Detroit? What has that experience been like um, for you? The first thing that honestly comes to my mind is just like unfair. That's that's <laughs> the biggest feeling that I have on a daily basis is just like none of this is none of this is fair um, for my students, for my families, for even for myself. Um, it's it's really frustrating at times, uh, but then I also am surrounded by like educators who will do anything to make it work. So that's encouraging. Um, but we shouldn't have to do that. You know, we shouldn't have to do absolutely everything to make it work. And I feel really fortunate sometimes that um, I have a lot of privilege in that I don't have any kids yet. Um, you know, it's just kind of me and my partner in our house. I can't even imagine trying to be a parent and a teacher doing distance learning right now. Um, I'm really grateful that I'm at a school that doesn't necessarily ask too much. I have teacher friends that are supposed to be online for four hours every day in front of the video. 
with first graders. You know, that just doesn't make sense from an educator standpoint. Um, and so I'm lucky that I'm at a school that kind of really values uh, our professionalism and our ability to make choices about when we can work and how much we can work. Um, but no, I'm just like constantly just like sitting with this feeling of like, this is unfair. And there's even so much more. I know you mentioned the digital divide, like that's very present in all of Detroit, but it is so deep and so messy. Like um, DTE, for example, just passed like this huge grant, this huge program where what's DTE? Uh, the energy electric. Uh, OK, gotcha, gotcha. Service. Yep. yep. Um, they just gave devices to all students in DPS, which is Detroit Public Schools. So that'll start to roll out, which is great. But I work at a charter school um, that is even my charter school is even authorized by Detroit Public Schools. But so my students will not benefit from that. So, you know, it's like really, really complicated. Education in Detroit has always been complicated because of the emergency management system um, and how they came in and took over public schools. So there's this huge like charter versus public divide already going on in Detroit. Um, and then it feels like this has fueled even more of that as well. But I also think on a much more like personal level, like it's again, just unfair to see a lot of what my students have to go through uh, right now and just like we not only do my students not have a lot of access to technology at home but we're not even like a very tech filled school so we, you know we only have one or two laptop carts for the entire middle school that wow. we use throughout so my kids are not necessarily used to being on Google Classroom in the first place or using Google Docs in the first place or knowing how to double space a document, knowing how to indent like those tech skills have really that's something that I've really noticed in myself, like a privilege that I definitely have growing up. I grew up on the on the west side of Michigan in Holland, Michigan. Um, and just the, you know, it was a pretty like upper middle class town. Um, and we had technology classes from, I remember those little orange things that would cover the keyboards and we did like type to learn and none of that anymore. I don't think my kids have a lot of experience using technology, even in educational settings. Right. And which is a difference between. So that's one of the things that um, the conversations that have come up, there's a difference between perhaps students and children being familiar with Facebook and Instagram and social media technology yeah. in that sense versus being able to understand and like thrive in a virtual setting or use technology. I wouldn't even say product, product productively, but like in service of like education, like for educational yeah. purposes, such a difference. Um, and so, so one of the things that, and so I'm in Baltimore and that education, I mean, the, um, the technology thing is something that has come up so much. Right. And yeah. so, so many assumptions have been made around what students like have at home and mm -hmm. like what that means 
or like the distance learning conversation, even like supports at home. And so not just uh, access to technology, but even just access to support, someone to work, help them like work through right. specific, whether it's, I don't know, whether it's assignments, whether it's the technology piece, the Google Docs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is another part of the, the like equity conversation and the gaps, right? Yeah, I think a lot of times we're ex- almost expecting our students to be like college students that, you know, you can give them an assignment posted online and, and with enough, you know, directions, it'll be completed. But it's just not the case, like especially when you're thinking of, you know, eight year olds, nine year olds, 10 year olds that are trying to learn online and and almost act like like you know like you are in a college class where you're posting on a discussion board and you're like answer to one or two people um i think that's that's been a lot of educators experience with online learning so i think that's where a lot of educators are pulling from too is like oh the only time i did online learning was when i took a college class over the summer one time or um and so it's like a lot of those expectations putting on our students now. And I don't think anybody has a lot of even like deep training or professional development in how to even like execute online learning either. And so it's just kind of, it's just a a mess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How have you been, how have you been over, how have you been overcoming this as a teacher and like even supporting your students, right? How have you been able to, um, sort of just meet them where they are, especially knowing what may be their living conditions and what they do or may not have access to. So I think it's just approaching everything with that understanding um, and just like, again, being willing to, you know, find the third way, not the first way, not the second way, but the third, fourth, fifth, whatever it takes. Um, and I do know, you know, we're trying to do a lot to meet just the basic needs of students right now. So we have grab and go breakfast and lunches uh, a couple days a week. We have um, our school is trying really hard to get laptops into students' hands, what we do have at school um, and setting up like Wi-Fi hotspots in home. But I think it's just really taking the time to like call families, call parents, and just like sit there and however long it takes to work it through, you know, logging on to Google Classroom, working through how to do a Google Doc assignment, just whatever it is, like just taking that time and just having that patience to just talk it through in a phone conversation. Um, we actually had a, I had a conversation with another um, educator and she used the term or the phrase, even like grading with grace, right? Yeah. And so she's with, she's with older students, um, really. And she said, it just like, as things are, or our normal approach to grading and like even measuring the success of students just can't be the same anymore because it is such a different, such a different landscape. Right. It's not fair to I I agree, like it's not necessarily fair to assign a grade because you just don't know. You know, I have excellent, um, high performing, achieving students who haven't turned in a single assignment yet. And 
it, you can't, like in my heart, I cannot fail that student or hold them back, you know, or some or whatever kind of, um, whatever kind of thing would happen. But, um, yeah, you just have to have an immense amount of grace and patience, just patience. Mm-hmm. And even, and so a big part of our work is the, um, we've been partnering with schools around and teachers and educators are just like around cultural competence. Right. And so even being able to understand some of the cultural nuances that may be at play and influence the, the inequities that exist and like how students are showing up what their home life, maybe how their communication styles may be different, even in a virtual platform, how, you know, uh, educators have to even flex in that in, in, in how they communicate with parents now, right? And yep. just some of those cultural nuances there. Um, I'm wondering, and especially if you're willing to just talk a little bit more even about how in your just personal space, right? In your personal life, like how you've been navigating the pandemic, especially being like just recently, recently married, um, your wife being someone who is, you said not yet a citizen, but in the process of gaining citizenship, like what has this space and time been like for y'all? It, uh, so everything truly just kind of magically came together to be able to get married Um, We had originally been planning our wedding for May and like really just simple backyard. Like it wasn't even going to be a huge thing to begin with. Um, And then as things kind of started picking up and like school shut down and and things started closing more and more, we sat down and had a conversation. We were like, you know, if if government offices are going to start closing, it might be in our best interest to, like, get the green card process started now rather than waiting until May. Um, and so and what we, is your, your wife's home home country? She's from uh, England. She's from England. United Got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we ended up getting everything pulled together. We called our officiant that we already had booked for our wedding day and she came over at like 6:30 in her yoga pants and we got married in our kitchen um which is now my favorite story to tell <laughs> because I think it's it's actually kind of it's going to be definitely something to remember um but then the same day we got married uh my wife found out that she was placed on furlough um and because she was going to then be in the green card application process, um, she could not apply for unemployment benefits. Oh. Um, because then her green card would be denied. Gotcha. So then all of a sudden we went from a two income household to a one income household. And as we know, teacher salaries are not, you know, mm-hmm. not the highest. Um, and so that was just kind of like a moment, uh, a big stressor for us. And it has been for a couple, couple of months now. But I think even more so than that is just like, I hate watching her feel like she's like in this limbo. Uh-huh. She doesn't feel like she counts as a person right now, which is like really hard to see that. Um, and to see someone go through that, she's like, I can't, I'm 
she can't go and apply for another job because she doesn't have a work permit through like she can ah. only work for a company. So she's like, I would, she's like, I would go be at the grocery store. I would go work for whoever right now. Um, but she can't. And so she just kind of feels like I said, like in limbo, like she doesn't even, she doesn't count right now as a person. And so that's been really hard as a partner to just try to stand by and support, um, and to watch someone go through that. Definitely. Oh, I think there is so much like just like misinformation, especially if one is not um, familiar with just like immigration system policy. And so what I'm hearing is. Even though your wife would like to apply for jobs or even though um, unemployment benefits are out there as a, a benefit, she is not able to take advantage of either of those options. No. Because of this, um, the way that the system is set up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it was this either January or February that the public charge uh, law went into place where that like if you are applying for a green card and you use or apply for benefits in any sort of way from the U.S. government, then your green card will be denied. So that's why the, our lawyer advised against it completely. She's like, don't even try to apply because then it could compromise your green card. Um, and we, I, I mean, we sit all the time and have conversations like we, she is a blonde hair, blue eyed, white girl from an English speaking country, a European country, you know, and it is this difficult for us. And so if we have these immense privileges and it's this difficult for us, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like for immigrants who do not speak English, who are not white, who are not from, you know, European countries, Eurocentric countries. So it's yeah it's a very eye-opening experience and it's very frustrating i didn't think i i didn't think it was going to be this hard i don't think as u.s citizens we're ever really familiarized with the immigration process until you know someone who has to go through it there is this misconception that of this misconception of simplicity or maybe like linear pro like process if you want to be a citizen, all you have to do is, or if you want to be yeah. a citizen or part of the American dream, all you have to do is want to work or desire to work, <laughs> right? And yeah. we hear in your wife's story that that is not the case, even as um, someone who embodies, you know, privilege. And so you bring up a good point that uh, when we talk about those who are non-English speaking or perhaps um, black or brown people who are immigrants, very different, very different experience. And I don't know that, um, which is the purpose of this series, like that has been part of, right? The, the yeah. conversation. And so for the individuals who are not citizens and experiencing furlough and unemployment, like what does right. that mean? Yeah. So many, um, just so many layers. And it makes me think about just the emotional toll of COVID and this global pandemic. 
yeah. where there are like implications related to like, um, you know, work and compensation. But I've been thinking more about just the emotional toll the, and what that means for children even. So I even wonder your thoughts on that as you think through like what this or how this impacts students. And then also just as someone who's experiencing this with their partner, right? Like what is that emotional toll feel like, look like, and then what do we need to be taken into account once this is, if this ever is, you know, all mm -hmm. over? Definitely. I think that, you know, I am a person who really clings to like plans and <laughs> You know, just being able to like know even I'm a I'm a very like even if it's the worst case scenario, I would rather know so I can plan around it. And it's so hard to just kind of sit in that space where you just don't know. You don't know what the future is going to look like. Like when we think about education, I don't know if I'm going back to my classroom in the fall yet. I don't know what it will look like. I don't know. I don't know how they can possibly reduce class sizes. Um, my classrooms are not that big. You know, we got an email about how in the Michigan education budget, they're planning on cutting up to $900 per student in the budget. And like that's in, in a time of just like uncertainty in general, like that's scary to hear because then you're thinking, all right, you know, is it that they're going to cut programs or are they going to cut people? Are they going, you know, um, and so it's it's so like mentally and emotionally taxing to just like sit there in that gray area, sit there in that unknown and and like be able to find acceptance in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things, so what, that's, that's another thing, um, that came up in my conversation with another teacher is like when the, no, who knows what the classroom will look like. And so for a classroom that used to be, um, you know, 28 kids, well, that may not be the case in the age of like physical distancing now. And so what does that even mean for like instruction? Another thing I've been thinking about too, and I read this in a, a post. It was a um it was it was a post out of New York and they were talking about how one school how one school was trying to figure out, even from like a communications perspective, when children do come back, like how do you communicate that some of the people or teachers that they were familiar with and had grown to become familiar with, like how do we begin to um communicate that perhaps they're gone or they may not see them anymore like just even that like sense of like um uncertainty that children children are now like dealing with um I wonder for the for your age group like what if you've tracked anything for your age group of children if you've tracked anything in there kind of like how they have been emotionally handling this space and time or like just their like headspace um level of engagement um especially just kind of given what you may know about you know the homes like where where, where they are where they are learning right where or the environments they're they're learning in right um 
Yeah, I think it, there's a very wide range. There's, uh, I have a lot of students that are kind of like really consistent. I've noticed into checking in with me. I think they're like really looking to those like systems of like structure gotcha. and support where they're like, I want to make sure that you're okay because the minute that you're not okay, then I'm not going to be okay. You know, like I think yeah. that they're like, um, I know, especially my dean at my school for our middle school, um, she's really close with a lot of the students and they're just like, she's like, my, you know, request messages on Instagram are like blowing up <laughs> every day. <laughs> Just trying to check in. And then I know I have students that reach out to me. I think what I know about my students is that they are, a lot of them are so desperate to do well and they feel bad. They feel like they're letting us down. Um, I've had students reach out to me that are like, I'm really trying to get my online work done, but I'm also trying to help my mom out with watching my uh -huh. sibling. You know, she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get started on the weekend and I'll do all the other work from all the other weeks. And I'm just like, just, it's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll, you know, it'll be okay. I'm more just concerned that you are safe and you are healthy. That's my number one priority. Mm -hmm. um, not, you know, the, the central idea that you found in a text. I'm mm -hmm. okay right now that you're just okay. Mm -hmm. um, I have kids that um, we kind of, you know, check in with a little extra to be like, do you need us to drop off an extra bag of groceries? Do you need to? Because I think right now I can't expect my kids to perform in online learning if their basic needs are not met. So I want to make sure that my kids are eating that they that their families are doing okay um you know detroit is also not only are we experiencing this great digital divide but it is also a hot spot for the virus mm. and so so many of my students have lost family members um mm. and are just like collectively grieving mm. and i think that's kind of the powerful part about being in Detroit is that I have noticed, right, Michigan feels very divided at the moment. Um, you know, we have protesters at the Capitol uh -huh. and it feels like, it, it feels very divided, but in Detroit and in Metro Detroit, in Detroit, <laughs> not even necessarily Metro Detroit, but it feels much more community oriented uh -huh. and people looking out for each other. And so that's what I appreciate about being in the community of Detroit is that everyone is kind of like collectively going through this together. And I feel like there's much less divide actually here in the city. And when you say people are at the protest and you talk about the folks who are trying to get the city reopened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's just, it's frustrating for me to see. I have two nurse sisters as well. They live outside of Michigan, but, uh, you know, I know that my sisters are 
on the, the front lines working with patients every day. And so it's hard for me to see people um, so upset and just like sometimes I don't even know what to say when I just like ideologically disagree with someone so much. I don't even know how to begin a conversation about it because I just feel so frustrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which kind of leads me to my um, next question. And so I wonder what you want to come from all of this. And this can be from like the perspective of a teacher, the perspective of, um, a, you know, some being part of a community um, who is most impacted, the perspective of um, being um, someone who is married to someone going through the immigration. And so now that's part of you, you both like sort of collective experience. Like, what do you want to come from this pandemic in your life, in your community, perhaps even in your work? I would definitely like to see radical change in, um, in the world of education. Uh, I know it's, it is a very it's changing times for education in detroit um we have the literacy uh case that just won its first uh appeals i believe and so now it is that detroit students have the right to um the right to literacy, the right to learn to read, and they were not oh, given no. that right. Mm-hmm. And so right now, it's actually uh, either it could progress further into the court system, um, or the governor could settle it. And so I think that right now, education in Detroit is at the forefront and could be even pushed further into the forefront. And so I would like to see radical change. I would like to see, um, you know, just more funding into schools in Detroit um, and just time actually taken to listen to the families of Detroit and to listen to the teachers who are in Detroit who have started this fight even long before I was a twinkle in anybody's eye and is a fight that I'm honored to be a part of. Um, and so I think that it just feels like it's time. That's that's what I want to come from this is that just a recognition, first and foremost, that education is so critical and that it needs to happen in the classroom, um, I think, and that uh, we need to trust our teachers as professionals. Um, I think a lot of those things are coming to light as students are at home and as we kind of navigate through online learning. And then also just that, you know, Detroit students matter and that they deserve the same quality education that is seen elsewhere in the state. So how can we make that happen? Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the things. I've been thinking about how do we, so in a moment in time where, I mean, we're kind of seeing on a broader scale, like the whole profits over people, like the 
mm-hmm. the whole argument for people wanting to reopen is we need to get the economy open, which is like a clear sign of like, if we're being honest, like prioritizing profit and economics over people. At the same time, we're experiencing all of these inequities. And so one might one might think that, hey, this is the actual perfect time now that we know that inequities are being exacerbated to prioritize, you know, people and their experiences and like all these gaps over financial money. And so it's like this, it's like this dichotomy, to be honest. I'll give you an example. So right now in Baltimore, the discussion, one of the discussions going on is there was a lot of work. Um, there was a bill that was supposed, that was supposed to pass that increased teacher funding, that increased um, more oversight to ensure that like HBCUs got money, HBCUs folks, historically by college universities got the funding they mm-hmm. needed to like, you know, raise teacher salaries to like focus on like the um, urban school districts, all these things were supposed to have part of this bill and it got vetoed because of COVID because we just don't have time, money to focus on this right now. And so a lot of legislators, you know, a lot of the legislators who back this bill are like pushing back. What do you mean we don't have time or money? Like this is the opportune time. Like this is how we reimagine right. anew. Which is interesting to like observe. I'm not in policy. I'm not in education, but I experienced um, obviously the equity stuff by way of the work with the Winters Group, and then just as a, as a caretaker to my brother, I'm experiencing all these inequities. As like, you know, he's 16, and I'm like, what? I hear the superintendent talking. I'm like, I'm not the superintendent, the, the state, the states, yeah, the state superintendent mm-hmm. and all the assumptions around like what people have at home and the supports in place and how kids are just all these assumptions. And it makes me think hope that after all of this, you know, some shift can happen to your point, like mm-hmm. radical change. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's been wild watching, uh, like being able to closely follow what is happening in the UK and what is happening in the US because um, my wife FaceTimes her family probably at least two or three times a day, uh, which has been another aspect of like not knowing when she'll be able to really see them again because of travel. Um, But like, The national health system in the UK, the NHS, is by no means perfect. And, you know, I've seen and heard that through her family as well. But the fact that just like no one has to worry about health care in this moment in time while they're in the UK is just so crazy to me. Even like as we've gotten married and we've been talking about you know, health insurance plans and just talking uh-huh. about things like this is a copay. What? <laughs> like she, her mind is blown. Um, just, you know, going through stories of like how much an ambulance costs and how much just an emergency room visit costs. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that right now people are able to, in, in the UK, people, there, the government is paying 80% of everyone's salary right now. Wow. And everyone has health care. 
and just we're speechless right now because mm -hmm. like even just imagining that is seems like out of this world mm -hmm. um so so the first there's a, there's another episode where so sajda also in the education space she's from the um black woman from the um u.s but it was working in the uh, British Virgin Islands. And so she was juxtaposing how they have responded, right? Um, mm -hmm. Again, because this is so one of the things she even, we even underscored was how the, the Virgin Islands, their culture is so communitarian in nature and that the leadership, once this thing popped off, they were like, oh no, we're, whatever we have to do to make sure right. people like are safe and people um are not contracting we're gonna do versus yeah. wait a minute let's roll this back how much money right and, right. and so just the idea ideological differences yeah the broader cultural differences right i mean we got into a whole talk on um just like white supremacy culture and everything like and just how that just intersects into like on globally and in countries just leadership and how yeah. yeah, we could go on for days, Megan. But yeah, just to, to think, so many countries are responding differently. And so that is, I think, sometimes a privilege, sometimes a, a blind spot or um, that we have as U.S. nationals, just the assumption that we're doing things the right way, kind of like this yeah. U.S. Yeah. national global elitism. Yeah. Um, and times like these cause, I feel like, for pause to really think about how other cultural communities are responding. So that we can reimagine anew, and maybe it's not even radical because other people are doing it. You know, like right. kind of like what's our radical? Right. Could be another country's like norm. Wonder if there's anything else you want to share when you think about your experience. Anything you want to share already uh, about or with others about how? they can or should navigate this time or maybe even like something else to consider you know folks are listening perhaps have a different um experience background from you or maybe even have a similar background from you what would you ask of them or what would you share with them to either get through this period in time either use their privilege during this period of time either you know think about what they can be doing um, or considering for when this moment in time is over? Anything you just want to share with folks that we haven't talked about already? Um, I think one thing that I would like people to consider, especially parents, is just unity with teachers mm -hmm. as we move forward because I really believe that's the way. One of the reasons that I love my school so much and I can't imagine teaching in a different area or a different place is because to me, my school feels more like a community center mm -hmm. and less like an academic building. Gotcha. And that's because we have community partners in our families 
and our school is a community school. The majority of our kids walk to school. It is a neighborhood school. And as we move forward and as we seek that radical change in education, it's going to be absolutely crucial that parents and teachers come together. And I feel like there's almost been kind of a divide between teachers and parents uh-huh. in the last couple of years or just like misunderstandings from one uh-huh. to the other. Teachers misunderstanding parents and parents misunderstanding teachers. But I think this is a really great time to kind of reignite that relationship between parents as school partners. And I just would ask that parents really reach out to their schools and to their teachers and really push for the changes that we all want to see. I love it. I love it. Um, If nothing can come from this, um, I am also hopeful that the imperative around community and connection is one that we take away. It doesn't just stop now. You know what I mean? Like even yeah. personal spaces, people are calling people more. And so I think um, I, I have, it's interesting, I probably have emailed my brother's teachers now more than mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> like I am, I am that there. Like, yeah. because, right? Because it's been real out in these virtual learning <laughs> streets. I'm so um, I think that is a charge. I think that is a charge that um, anyone who's listening Um, whether you're a caretaker, whether you're a parent or or a teacher, leader in the education space, or even a leader, like unity, connecting, communicating, um, really using this as an opportunity to emphasize that and do more where we can, do more where we can. It's been really good connecting, Megan. Yes, thank Um, you. Wishing the best to you and your students and your wife and your extended family. Um, And um, thank you, thank you, thank you for using or joining us rather to just share more about yourself and what life has been like for you during this space and time. Yes, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed this. Thank you.